This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? Hey, happy Thanksgiving almost. <laughs> happy almost Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah we are recording um, on, the, on Monday, the 19th, in the middle of the day. It is three mm-hmm. o'clock my time, and... Uh, it's nice to be wide awake and do this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll make more sense. <laughs> Work schedules being what they are, sometimes yeah. we can't help it. But uh, yeah. we're, we're glad to be here. Hello to everybody who is hopefully going to be tuning in. Looks like we've got one viewer so far. So hello, mystery viewer. <laughs> but yeah, it's Thanksgiving week. We're thankful for all of you who listen to the show every week. We certainly wouldn't be here doing what we're doing without all of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you, especially to all the patrons who do support us financially as well. And uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into things. We just have a couple of emails to get to, uh, one from Jesus and one from Leslie. Uh, Thank you both very much for reaching out here as we approach the end of season six. My goodness, can't believe it. So today, our first episode of discussion is The Chump, second to last episode of season six, aired on May 13th, 2010. Directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Aaron Shore. In the aftermath of learning that Donna is married to someone who is not Michael, the office prepares for him to be extremely depressed, as he often is after a relationship gone wrong. But instead, they learn that he's doing the worst thing possible, continuing his relationship with a married woman, despite knowing full well that it's morally and objectively wrong to do so. Pam and Jim struggle with baby-at-home exhaustion at work, and Angela and Dwight try to resolve their issues over their child-rearing contract. So I, I, I don't know if I made my feelings about Michael in this episode clear enough in that, that <laughs> summary, but I am not happy with him, nor should anybody be. It is absurd that he thinks even part of this is remotely okay. I get that he's upset and that he, you know, has feelings for Donna, even if they're not serious feelings. I don't know if I think that he thinks that he is really into her. I don't know, but they're at least somewhat friendly. Uh, he likes her at least enough to continue um, being the other, the other man, the, the mistress, as it were. Bad enough to not know that you are helping someone cheat. It's, that's upsetting enough. And then he just continues to do it once he finds out. But Pam and Aaron have prepped. As you said, they anticipate Michael just causing chaos in the office with his broken heart. They bought ice cream. They planned a whole day. Uh, Turns out he's completely fine. And they're very surprised by this because history would tell us otherwise. And when we do find out, the way they they find out, Pam asks Michael over for dinner. Like, this would be a big deal for Michael under normal circumstances. She says, hey, you can come over uh, to our house, play with the baby at our house. We will eat dinner together. This will be awesome. And he passes saying... Well, I've got other plans. And so Pam knows, okay, the only thing that would put Michael away from our place is that he's doing something with Donna, like a woman, basically. And so it's out. And this is the worst part. Michael knows that it's wrong. He knows. Like, this isn't isn't Michael being naive about something or doing something along those lines that we've seen him do countless times up to this point. This is one of his worst moments in the entire show to me, if not the worst, because it shows him making a choice that is morally wrong that does hurt someone else, but he's doing it because it makes him feel good. And then he tries to justify it by making these assumptions about her husband being a a scummy sports guy. And the fact that Donna said that she was okay to continue this relationship with Michael says something about her husband as well. Like, what kind of guy would drive her to cheat on him? Like, he tries to come up with all these things in his head to justify his bad decision making in this awful circumstance but there is no justification he's just doing the wrong thing he's he's convinced that there must be something wrong with the husband not with donna when donna is the one at fault here and now michael too uh so andy suggests well first that he stop doing this and when he won't he says okay well maybe you need to see this guy maybe you need to see the guy that you're hurting see the husband so andy suggests that they crash one of donna's husband's baseball games he's a high school baseball coach to see what a, quote, horrible person he is. Like, come see this this person that, that you're ruining his life. Michael resists at first. He doesn't want to meet the husband. I think because that would make it real, you know? He, he can mm-hmm. kind of pretend that this man doesn't exist if he's never seen him, never met him. But, well, I don't think meeting the guy was ever the plan. But, of course, Michael, instead of just watching the baseball game and seeing 
the husband chooses to go introduce himself or just meet him at least, um, um, speak to him, which, oh, that crosses so many. I mean, it already is crossing some major boundaries, but uh, he chooses to go speak to him. Yeah, to be fair, Andy is the one who sort of coerces Michael to come meet the coach. He's sort of aversive to it at first. But then afterwards, he like feels like a badass because of it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that James freaking Bond does. So I'm super cool. I just looked at the husband of the woman who I'm cheating with. Like, yeah, I feel awesome about this. And so he goes back to the office and he starts acting like a big shot. He starts taking things he wants when he wants them. He grabs a handful of Meredith's cake that's sitting in the refrigerator for her birthday. No plate, no utensil, no courtesy. Just, I want this. I'm going to take it. Just like he did with Donna, basically. And it's it's the worst. <laughs> like, I, I tried to defend Michael a lot of the times, a lot of the time, because he's naive and he's well-meaning most of the time. And yeah, he makes some poor decisions, but usually he has solid good intent behind those things but no not this time he's just being the worst and everybody's treating him that way because of it like everybody's treating him pretty poorly because everybody thinks you're you're being a pretty bad person right now thankfully he does eventually come around he's supposedly meeting donna at a motel because it's dirty just like donna and i cheating or is dirty and he changes his mind. As he's on his way out, he asks, is anybody going to stop me? Don't anybody try and stop me. I'm going anyways. And he ends up texting her, thankfully, and calling it off because he does feel bad to some degree. So there's that at least. And then he comes back to the office and does finally eat the ice cream that Pam and Aaron got for him. So they were right. He would need some consoling. Um, it's just not when they thought it would be. Yeah. He, he had to make some poor decisions in between, but he did do the right thing in the end. Just briefly speaking about Pam, we talked about last episode, her sort of vested interest in Michael's relationships and well-being and happiness. And so he's she's continuing that in this episode with trying to comfort him and console him in the aftermath of this breakup. So that's good on Pam. Then other things regarding Jim and Pam. They're exhausted because they have a baby at home. And that's what parents who have babies at home live with is exhaustion. And so they're dozing off at work. Gabe pulls them aside to sort of reprimand them. And Daryl overhears them trying to find a solution. And he's like, I, I know about a place. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but I know a place. And so he shows them this place that's in the warehouse or tells them about it so that they can, uh, they can get some sleep at work in secret. And then briefly on Dwight and Angela, um, I'm going to put this as PG as I possibly can. So they have hired a mediator to help with their situation. Dwight tried to call off the contract. He has seen Isabel again. He realizes, I don't want to be with Angela. I don't want to fulfill this contract. So they've hired a mediator rather than go to court. The mediator deemed their contract solid. Angela is happy about this. Dwight is, of course, frustrated and he wants out. So they agree to in lieu of fulfilling the contract to have sex five times, I'll leave it there. <laughs> so Dwight in resistance to having a baby, he does everything in his power to fulfill this new agreement, have sex five times and not get her pregnant. So he ends up trying to do everything in his power to kill his sperm, basically <laughs> slamming his genitals um, with a book. Holding him against microwave. a microwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> running into a door while riding a bike like just things that would maybe not even kill sperm but just hurt so yeah. he's over there kind of beating himself up uh just to not have a kid yeah it's kind of gross the mediator says i legally cannot witness this happening like this is right. borderline prostitution they don't really care dwight's just glad he found a way to get out of this contract that's not going to cost him thirty thousand dollars because the mediator does say there's precedent for damages uh, in the vein, in the realm of $30,000. And Angela would go after the farm, which she says costs a small fortune. So this is obviously preferable to Dwight, uh, I guess. <laughs> mutilating, self-mutilating uh, his crutch while <laughs> also getting to have sex afterwards. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> there were just a couple other... Uh, things i wanted to talk about in reference to michael's continued cheating with donna uh first i just wanted to mention how much it sucks for andy to have to be 
forced to relive his experience of being cheated on by Angela because of Michael. He says he, he has a talking head where he says, you know, I'm a cuckold, which is a man whose wife is cheating on him. So that's why Andy has such a vested interest in taking Michael to meet the victim of his cheating is because Andy lived through this and he's just trying to save another guy the pain. Uh, so that's touching, but also, again, it sucks for him. And one more thing, this also something we don't have to linger on unless you have something else to say, but Meredith, I mean, we know that she's sort of alcohol obsessed and she's sex obsessed, right? And uh, she has a talk or not a talking head, but she says, hey, I never cheated with someone or was cheated on or helped somebody to cheat. Even though she likes to have lots of sex with apparently lots of people, she always makes sure that nobody involved is in a relationship of any kind so that there's no cheating happening. So despite her grossness, <laughs> good on her for making sure everybody is consenting and single. Yeah, she kind of says this to prove like, hey, even I am a better person than you right now. <laughs> right, basically. Even, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> even Meredith. Any other character things? I think that's probably it. This was a pretty funny episode as well. So I think there's quite a few funny moments to talk about. Yeah. How about you start with the cold open? Yeah, I love this one. So it's the radon test kit cold open. (laughs) Toby has placed radon test kits all over the office and Michael keeps throwing them away. So first he thought it was an ant trap and he'd rather live with ants than with this, quote, creepy little disc. So he tossed it. Um, as he does, he says, ow, hot, which means, uh, there's probably radon, (laughs) which anyway, um, the second time he thought it was one of those toys that when you turn it over, it moves. And he said, turns out it was another ant trap. So he tossed it. And third time he threw it away out of spite. So, (laughs) so this is all happening. Those were kind of flashbacks within the, the conference room meeting. And Michael is just giving Toby, of course, a very hard time. And And Michael says, come on, you say radon is silent but deadly and you expect me not to make farting sounds? Like, come on. And um, (laughs) he goes on to just, of course, describe his his hate for Toby and how much he just doesn't, A, want these radon tuskets and B, want Toby alive by saying, if he had a gun with two bullets and he was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby, he would shoot Toby twice. And that crosses, finally crosses the line for everyone in the room. There's a bit of an outrage, so Dwight lines up Andy as Bin Laden, Phyllis as Hitler, and Toby, of course, as Toby, and demonstrates how he could kill all three of them with just one bullet. Yeah, efficiency is the shrewd way. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot in that cold open. Yeah, I love the very start of it when Toby is in the conference room talking to everybody, and he says, I'm placing radon test kits all over the office. And then he like snaps at Michael. I am putting radon test kits all over the office. Do not touch these. He's just like snapping at him. (laughs) It's really funny. Do not. Right. (laughs) And going on with Michael, funny moments, he is getting scorned by everybody else in the office for continuing to cheat with Donna. And he says, since when is this an office where we delve into each other's personal lives? Uh, Always since you became manager, I suppose. It's been a while. Michael says, people, this is Scranton, and many people consider that to be the Paris of northeastern Pennsylvania. I don't think they do. And then he he says, and in Paris, it is rude for a woman to have less than four lovers. Again, I don't think that's considered rude. (laughs) And Kelly is skeeved by this. She says, oh, Ryan, I don't want you hanging out with Michael anymore. And Ryan just says, okay. (laughs) As if I needed a reason. (laughs) Great. Thank you for that permission. I haven't been hanging out with him already. When Andy first comes to Michael to, again, scorn him for continuing this relationship, he says, in any cheating movie, the guy getting cheated on is the hero. You are Ali Larder. I'm Beyonce. Michael says, I am Beyonce always. <laughs> Andy <laughs> not says, not this time. This time. <laughs> Michael says, yes, I am. <laughs> but I am Beyonce always. Classic Michael quote. Classic. Always. Also, Michael, while we're on him, um, he comes back from the baseball game. Feeling super confident, if scummy, um, but mostly just confident. And he has stolen the team's orange slices. Michael (laughs) starts throwing loose orange slices at people. (laughs) His orange slices, there you go. And one hits Oscar's shirt. He says, why would you throw something wet at me? (laughs) And uh, Michael says, you love it. There you go. (laughs) And Jim asks if these were for the team. He says, no, they just said Cole Hawks. Yeah, that's the team name, Michael. That's the team. 
Pam says, I don't think that those were yours to take. Michael says, well, that wouldn't be the first time I stole something from Coach Shane. Mm, mm. No, it's the worst. not. Oh. Uh, when, when Michael announces that I'm going to meet Donna in a motel, Stanley speaks up and says something. We don't care. Everybody's made up their minds. You're not going to change anybody's minds. Michael's only response is, okay, Morgan Freeman narrating everything. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you take that. Okay. What kind of Ooh. insult is that? <laughs> Dis. Ryan actually had a couple of funny ones this episode. While watching Michael have his little breakdown, he admires Michael for, um, Ryan admires Michael for taking what he wants kind of t- seizing the day. So he approaches Aaron, which of course we have seen already that he has an attraction to Aaron. So Ryan says to her, you know what? I think you're attractive and I want to sleep with you. Aaron doesn't really skip a beat. She says, what about Kelly? Ryan said, you read my mind. Ugh. Aaron, is this a joke? And Ryan just goes, yup. And walks away. And we cut back to him in the break room. And he says, it's hard to live that way, man. You got to really not care what people think about you. I don't know how you do it. I, I can't be that cold. <laughs> he just, he's totally like high and embarrassed on this ex- ex- interaction with, with Aaron where he tried to be really bold and it failed. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to mention something I forgot to say earlier. When Pam invited Michael over to her their house, she also mentioned playing Billy Joel rock band. Does that exist? Uh, sure, it does. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> and, gift for Chad. <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, and they'd be eating Hooters takeout, which in some ways I think defeats the purpose of Hooters, but we know that Michael enjoys the hot wings. Uh, so that, that would work, I guess. <laughs> That's only half of what he likes about Hooters, right, to be fair. <laughs> right, half of it. <laughs> you can't get the other half at home. <laughs> But then another gym thing, when they are, well, both of them, they're struggling to stay awake. Uh, He says, you know, what about an energy drink? She says, well, I can't drink it because it gets in the breast milk. So if I drink it, Cece drinks it six hours later. Jim says, well, doesn't mean I can't drink it. And Pam says, well, it doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) She gets a little snappy with him. (laughs) Solidarity, man. Come on. Also with Pam and the baby, Pam is is yawning and she's she's hanging out with Aaron, of course, trying to get this this heartbreak day together. She says, I'm sorry, I was up all night with Cece, otherwise I'd be kind of running this. Aaron says, that's okay, but you probably shouldn't keep a baby up that late, though. <laughs> she's <laughs> no, not wrong. Not, but... She's not wrong. She should be telling that to Cece, though. Yeah, she yeah, basically. Up your this late. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, after Dwight and Angela have reached a new negotiation for this having sex thing, uh, Dwight says, okay, but not on your bed. It's lumpy. Angela said, those lumps are cats, and those cats have names, and those names are Ember, Milky Way, Diane, and Lumpy. <laughs> and I just, I, I thought, do those cats specifically like to hang around on the bed? Because we know she has more, right? We know right. she has more. So do they like to hang around on the bed or has she like stuffed her bed with deceased cats or like, I would say that sounds like a crazy thing, but this is Angela we're talking about. We've seen her lick a cat. So like some kind of bedspread. Like, I don't know. No, (laughs) I don't want to know. I know. You need to cover Tucker's little ears. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, another uh, Ryan one that I wanted to mention. Kelly is reading an anthropology book. He questions this, and it's apparently she thought it was a book about the store anthropology. He questions why she was reading this book and um, why she was in that part of the store. And uh, Kelly said, well, it's next to the baby section, okay? Ryan says, well, that makes more sense. You should have said that at the beginning. I read a book about anthropology. Like (laughs) (laughs) He's just questioning why she would be reading a book that actually teaches you anything. I want someone to one day talk about me the way Daryl talks about the secret sleeping space. (laughs) Light bulbs burn out so it's dark, and the heat from the backup generator keeps it nice and warm. Sometimes I think about it when I'm trying to fall asleep at home. That's my favorite part, is when he says, like, to get to sleep at home, I think of our secret sleeping space at work. (laughs) It's better than home, yeah. And speaking of the sleeping space, something we didn't mention earlier, when Jim and Pam eventually do go down there to sleep, Unfortunately, that's the same time Dwight and Angela decide to bang it out for the first time on their new negotiated contract right beneath them. So no sleep was had. No, I don't think so. Yeah. And in the interest of time, maybe the last one for me is uh, 
some reporters at the very end of the episode show up to the office right as Michael is like coming or leaving. And they're asking Michael about the quote rumors. They're referring to, we don't quite know this yet, but they're referring to the rumors about the printers that catch on fire that Andy discovered. Michael thinks they're talking about the rumors of him and Donna, and he publicly <laughs> promises never to listen to his bodily instincts again. Um, <laughs> I'll, and, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, right. And the reporter's confused, and she clarifies, and Michael has no idea what's going on with these printers, so totally over his head, but he thinks that someone sent a news crew <laughs> to learn about his affair with Donna. Apparently. <laughs> There were two Kevin moments that I would be remiss if I didn't mention both of them. Uh, The first is at the very beginning of the episode when they're still planning for a depressed Michael to show up to work. Pam says, okay, if you get stuck on what to say to Michael to help cheer him up, just make a random sound effect like a fart noise. So not two minutes after Michael has entered, he asks everyone if they want to share one of the Eagles themed ice creams with him. Uh, It's cake it to the limit. And Kevin just shouts, boy, oh, 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 and Michael says, okay, that's random. <laughs> but I like how Kevin is a loss for words two minutes after Michael has shown up. <laughs> but then later in the episode, when Michael is all like acting super badass, like I can do what I want. He says, from now on, whenever I'm hungry, I'm going to eat whatever I'm hungry for. Kevin speaks up and says, that is a dangerous game, friendo. <laughs> <laughs> friendo, I love that. <laughs> that is sage advice from Kevin. <laughs> he'd know yep yep he would (laughs) okay what about deleted scenes just a few i wanted to mention first there is a uh, bit of clarification as to the descendants of the replicants clause read by angela and dwight's lawyer in the episode it was a little bit confusing um and there's a clarification here it's not referring to their grandchildren but to a clone of their child but as dwight explains clone has a pejorative connotation doesn't sound great so they use the word replicant they move on from here the child shall be raised in the art of the raper uh typo it should be rapier this is a clause that dwight is ensuring angela thinks that it should be voided because guns are better he thinks it should be voided because of the misspelling (laughs) they're on the same side there i guess but yes raised in the art of the raper (laughs) quick story uh this reminds me of something from high school there was a production of the Fantastics, the Broadway show, and the word rape is used a lot mm-hmm. in that production. It, it's a different connotation, though. It's not like sexual rape. It is rape as in it's a, a rating or it's like a, a stealing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so they were eliminating the word rape. They were saying raid instead. So mm-hmm. it, it was just to make it school safe. Uh, no, no family objections. So the word rapier like the sword, does pop up in the production. And the guy who is playing the lead asks, is that a rape word? <laughs> like, do I need to change that? <laughs> Can we rape word? I like that. Uh, yeah, that, that shows up a lot in like ballets and operas and, and shows. Um, it's like the, the rape of whatever, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a raid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, I, for, I forget what it was. I forget what show, but there's like the rape ballet. Mm-hmm. And it sounds horrible, but it's it's just being invaded, really. That's right. what it means. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so there's a Dwight and Angela talking head where Angela says, are you going to claim that we don't have a contract? Dwight says, are you going to claim that we do have a contract? <laughs> and she just scoffs and turns her head and he whispers at the camera, we don't have a contract. And she whispers, <laughs> like, we have a contract. <laughs> it's still not getting along. No, no. Andy adopted one of his regular characters named Trevor to confront Michael about his wrongdoings. Andy has a talking head there where he gets very excited about who this Trevor character is. He says, um, well, he's a regular guy with a passing interest in high school sports, bit of a foodie, loves documentaries. If I were to ask Trevor who he is, he'd probably just say, I'm a dad. Uh, He's inquisitive, which gets underneath those layers. I don't know. He's a delight. That's all from Andy. (laughs) He's just so invested in this character's life. It's just really funny. Yeah. Uh, Michael has a talking head. He says, people don't respond to heroes anymore. They like Tony Soprano and Nurse Jackie and the woman from Weeds because those are real people. They're complex and flawed. And he says, I am seriously flawed. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> that doesn't make you more likable, though. <laughs> 
Maybe the last one for me, Jim and Pam leave Gabe's desk after basically falling asleep while he's reprimanding them. So they've, they've kind of fallen asleep, not paying attention. Gabe kind of wakes them up with a question. He wants to know if they can move forward with it. Neither Jim or Pam knows what it is, what Gabe's talking about. Luckily, Pam took notes. Uh, she goes back and reads them. The notes read, third quarter, maximize check filet prescriber nation. <laughs> Pam says, we can move forward with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you yeah. could decipher what exactly you were writing. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, last one for me. Daryl says that he used to be a cheater until... He saw Love Actually, <laughs> the scene when Emma Thompson's character played that Joni Mitchell song. It made it so he could never cheat again. Of course, he hasn't been in a relationship since then. That movie gave him unrealistic relationship expectations. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> no commentary for this episode. So our discussion topic, Michael, as we mentioned, eventually does the right thing and breaks up with Donna. Do you think that was due to his own conscience kicking in, or is it because of how his employees treated him? I, I don't know. We know how much Michael craves to be adored by his employees, uh, but I also like to think that Michael does do the right thing when he sees the opportunity for it. So I think that it was maybe at first his employees' treatment of him. They're disgust with him, but that I think turned to self-disgust. I don't think it was purely because of his employees uh, and wanting to be treated better by them that he cut things off with Donna. I think it was because they, in treating him the way they do, showed him that he was doing a despicable thing. <laughs> I did not intend to make the despicable me reference with Steve Carell, but there it is. <laughs> There, um, we're not going to take it back. It <laughs> so, yeah, I, th th I think that sums it up for me. I, I think it maybe started off with him not just liking the way he's being treated, but then it just turned it back in on himself. I agree um, with a lot of that. I think he is very easily swayed. I think he's very easily convinced of things. And so he an attractive woman is willing to have sex with him. Like he'll keep doing that until he's kind of proved wrong or convinced otherwise i think mm -hmm. and i think the people he respects not showing respect for something that he's doing is enough to kind of kick him into the right gear and like oh well maybe this isn't what i should be doing um with enough coercion of course right. michael wasn't going to listen to anything on the first try but they were so against this that i think it sort of righted his wrong made him think twice so let's go ahead and go on to our next episode. This is the season finale for season six. It aired on May 20th of 2010. It was directed by Toby, Paul Lieberstein, was written by, I'm guessing his brother, I didn't actually confirm this, but his brother Warren Lieberstein and Halstead Sullivan. It was the two of them together that wrote it. Uh, and it's titled Whistleblower. The press has learned that saber printers catch on fire of course, uh, at the ending of our last episode. And Joe Bennett is in town to figure out who told the press. Everyone thinks it's Andy because he's the one that initially discovered it. But through the episode, it's revealed that several people are to blame. Joe persuades Michael to be the face of the company to the press, and he gives a public apology. At the end of the episode, there's also a big, huge light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps, for Michael. And we'll get to that in a minute. So Michael starts off by milking his 10 seconds of fame for all it's worth. Uh, but, you know, in everyone else's eyes, it's, it's more like 10 seconds of infamy. This isn't a good thing to be on the news for. Uh, but in addition to just taking the, the free publicity sent his way, if you want to call it that, he's also actively seeking more attention than is being given him. He says he called uh, Froggy987, their caller hotline or whatever and talked about it on the radio as well just purely uninvited and i i just wanted to imagine can you think what was going through the head of the dj on the other end of the phone getting <laughs> this call from random regional manager of a paper company about an issue that probably wasn't on his radar and then michael wanting to then talk about it on the air like what what would your thought process be in that situation like uh okay <laughs> would you actually try and have a conversation with them about it and this is the request line. Yeah, They're just taking yeah. requests for songs. This isn't even like a discussion. It reminds me of stress relief when Michael wants YouTube to come down and film his roast. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, that's not how it works, man. 
He's very flattered by this attention, really, um, instead of being, you know, concerned about the printers that are catching on fire. Mm -hmm. Joe comes to Dunder Mifflin. She's livid that someone talked to the press. Does not want this kind of press. To Joe, not all press is good press, and this is not good press. Andy thinks that she's talking about him right off the bat, because, of course, he did make that video and he talked to Daryl about it. Andy says, so unfair, even if I thought our printers killed baby seals, I would not be a whistleblower. The Bernards for generation have silenced whistleblowers. So he prides himself on not being the one to do this, although he thinks he kind of did. I don't know. He's, he's feeling pretty conflicted here. And Joe goes so far as to have everyone sign a form saying that they did not talk to the press. People here are concerned that they might lose their jobs over this um, if they did, in fact, tell anyone. And according to her, they lost a good chunk of clients about this. It might be a little bit of exaggeration, but she says they lost half of their clients. And when she, she first walks in, she, I mean, any sign of Southern hospitality or pretense about her being a, a sweet lady with cutesy sayings, any, all of that's gone. This is, she, she's out for blood. Uh, the blood of whoever leaked the story and she like cuts out the news story of the leak about the leak and as she's telling about how there was a software patch they were about to send this out to all the customers who were affected and then boom it leaks and it becomes a much bigger deal than it actually was and she like glues the news story and she puts it on pam's drawing or painting of the office that has been hanging outside of michael's office and keep in mind this is the second time pam has painted that picture because Aaron ruined it in a deleted scene earlier in the season. She's she's pissed. <laughs> and that's all to say about that for now, but this is a really interesting episode in that it reveals a lot about Joe and about her motivations and who she was before she became big time business lady person. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. Yeah. So she's bringing people in one by one to the conference room to ask them what they know sort of interrogation style, frankly. And she takes different tactics with different people. Um, she's smart, clearly. I mean, she she kind of knows who she's talking to and what is going to work for them. She has this idea that if the guilty party comes in and says, like, I think you should go easy on the person when you catch them, then that's who the guilty party is. Like, that's how she's going to find them out. But as we go, we get different clips of this. So it's kind of hard to summarize in one fell swoop. But it turns out that lots of people leaked. It ends up being Daryl. Pam told somebody at um, daycare, I think. Kelly did. And even David Wallace and Andy, of course. Um, they all leaked. They all told somebody of importance um, more than just a random stranger. They all told somebody who could have told the press or was the press. So Michael meets with them and kind of tries to save their jobs for him, really, because they are now in a position where they could potentially lose their jobs. Uh, because it is so many of them, they feel like perhaps it's less likely. But they have now kind of quested Michael to talk Joe down, because initially when Michael went in to meet with Joe, he said, the fullest extent of the law, you know, like, give them the worst of the worst punishment. They deserve to die, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little a little far. But now that he learns it's so many of his best people, he has to go in there and say, we just need to let them live with what they did because it's so many of his best people. So now he goes back into Joe and, and, and tells her that. And she's suspicious. She obviously now knows that he knows something. And she says, I want to deal with it the way I deal with it. And Michael senses that probably means a bad outcome. And he keeps his mouth shut. So... Again, last episode aside, Michael is doing what I think he does best, which is standing up for the people he believes in. And like you said, these are a lot of his best people, at least Daryl and Pam, especially, or Daryl for sure. Pam, I don't know if you could really classify her as one of his best people, but his it's favorite. one of his favorite for sure. Right. And so Joe, instead of like choking it out of him, says, hey, come with me. And they take a drive to her private jet and they climb on board and Michael's real nervous. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. He's sort of acting the way Andy was acting in uh, the cover up uh, when he first learned of these printer problems. He thinks that he's about to be offed. <laughs> but then Joe tells a story. She reveals that when she was a little girl. All she ever really wanted was to become a big business tycoon. She wanted to break the glass ceiling, do things no woman had done before, be a role model for other little girls, get a Barbie made after her. And she says, you know what? I, I hate that what we sell are 
cheap technology, cheap printers. I, I hate that. But if I go out there and I issue a public apology calling for a recall, that's all I'm ever going to be remembered for. And any Barbie they make of me is not going to be played with. And so instantly, at least in my mind, she becomes a lot more sympathetic. This is a woman who has been trying for this state in her life for so long, and she doesn't want anyone to make her out to be less than what she has worked hard to become. I really admire that about her. I don't know if it puts her completely in the clear, but that sort of hints at my discussion topic. So I don't want to get too Mm. far into that now. Then I'll wait on my question because it may be your discussion topic because I have a question about about this. Okay. But I do admire Joe and Michael is sympathetic as well. And he offers to sort of take the fall for her and issue the public apology and uh, the recall himself. So again, Michael doing what he can to protect the people he loves. He kind of becomes the face of Sabre for this press release, essentially, for this I don't know what the word is. Pre- let's just call it a press release. Joe is very appreciative of Michael doing this for her. She's leaving the office at the end of the day. And while they were in the plane, Michael kind of opened up a little bit and said, look, I've had a rough time recently. Um, I think he says the last year, maybe. He's just had, he's kind of been down. He's been in, in, in the dumps for a while. And uh, Joe, on her way out for the end of the day, says, hey, thanks for doing this. If I can make your life any easier, basically, let me know. And I'll see what I can do. And Michael says, well, kind of casually, hey, you can bring back Holly. Like, he's kind of joking. He had mentioned Holly in the plane. He had said, yeah, I, I miss Holly. She was this HR rep who moved to Nashua. She got transferred back to Nashua. So here in the office, he's like, yeah, huh, you could bring back Holly. Joke, joke. And she takes that seriously. She says, I will look into it. I will see what I can do. And Michael is just... Like, I kind of have goosebumps thinking about it. Like, his face just completely drops. And he's like, I think it's nerves Mm -hmm. more than anything else. He's very happy, obviously, because he he really cared for Holly. But he's just so anticipating what this could possibly mean for him Mm -hmm. if she got moved back. Other things that happened in the episode, there were some things with Andy. Uh, There was first... Again, he, he says at the beginning that he didn't leak the story, even though at the end it turns out, yes, he did. And we sort of assumed he did, and everybody else assumed he did. He says supposedly his family made their money silencing whistleblowers. Uh, he says Woody Guthrie even wrote a song about it called Old Mr. Bernard, Who Did You Silence Today or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I- then at the end of the episode, he confesses that he did it. You know, I didn't want houses and schools to burn down. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And everyone's upset with him. Everybody is mad that he put their jobs at risk. Understandably, to a certain extent, but I do think Andy did the right thing. Mm. Aaron approaches him, and there's been no Andy-Aaron contact aside from that deleted scene in the cover-up when he was first... He wrote her a letter saying that all the things that he felt about her in case he got offed. And she approaches him and says, you know, it was very brave of you. She agrees. Yes, it was the right thing to do. She she touches his calf because at the moment he is standing on his desk retrieving his bag from the ceiling, uh, which people did in sort of retaliation for him leaking to the press. But he walks off smiling because Aaron approached him the way she did. And it's just too bad that once again, Andy is not acting on it. And I, I agree with you. I think he definitely did the right thing in talking to the press. Leaking has such a dirty, you know, sound to it. But um, Mm -hmm. he was trying to do something for the betterment of everyone, of their customers for safety, rather than taking his own job into accord. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think people were unfairly tough on him. Also, kind of a very minor thing here, Nick, the IT guy, um, (laughs) is moving to Detroit. So he's friendly. He goes upstairs. He says, hey, wanted to say thank you. It was a pleasure to know you all, but I'm moving. And they just do not care. This is so awful. They just like, they couldn't even fake it and say like, oh man, we'll miss you. Best of luck. They just don't care. And they don't even know his name. Um, <laughs> Sport. And they say, oh, we preferred the old IT guy. He kept to himself and whatever. And they, they just don't care. So he gets peeved and outs Andy as the whistleblower. Because of course he was there to search everyone's computers for Joe and find out who did it. And he knew that Andy did it. Um, and so he just outs Andy and like gives everyone all the bird and leaves. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so Andy definitely did do it. 
Yeah, he reveals a few things that he learned from their computers, too, before he leaves. He points at Ryan and says, you aren't a photographer. I don't know if that means that he, like, steals his pictures off the web, off the internet or something and tries to pass them on his own, or he's just really bad at it. So, yeah, you're not a photographer, you know? And he also says, Kelly, you definitely can't fit into a size two. He says, Daryl, you're on Facebook, man. Everybody just wants to be your friend on Facebook. Why do you tell them you don't have Facebook? <laughs> and then, yes, Andy, boom, is the whistleblower. He emailed the editor. So. There's that. Uh, there was one last thing to really mention, and that had to do with Dwight, who, yes. uh, when when he went in with Joe to the conference room to get interrogated to see if he was the one who leaked the story, uh, he says, I didn't do it, but here's a list of people you can fire. And it looks to be pretty much everybody in the office except for him. Uh, <laughs> and she says, yeah, you've had a good year. Are you turning your money into more money? And I love that his first response is, are you referring to alchemy? (laughs) No, No. (laughs) but she's referring to investing in property. And so he starts looking into properties. He gets a real estate agent to look for him. And the first one they find or a promising one, it it features an underground basement like a lair. So he's excited about having a lair of his own. Uh, But before he closes on that property, he has an epiphany. He's outside talking on the phone and he turns around and he he sees the Dunder Mifflin sign and the office park sign. And he looks at the building. He says, hey, how about you make an offer on this office park, 1725 Slough Avenue? And that's basically the way it ends is Dwight awaiting uh, confirmation of him buying the office park that houses these businesses. Yeah, so things could uh, potentially really change here both for Dwight and for all of the tenants of this building. Funny moment. Do you want to cover this cold open? Sure. So this isn't a true cold open because it does tie into the rest of the episode. Uh, But Michael is asking everyone to watch his clip on the WBRE news site instead of working so that his clip can be more watched than the teacher who was wrongfully accused of being a pedophile. He says, we can't let the pedophile win again. (laughs) and as they're all watching the video you hear it playing on several computers uh angela points everyone to the baby otter video that is on the same page it's from the zoo uh everybody's talking about how cute the otter is even dwight is talking about how cute it is michael in his office it has the video pulled up and he says it's not even that interesting it can't even stand up and then he's like watching the video he gets caught up in it and oh oh there he goes (laughs) and he he forgets oh i'm supposed to be mad at this video like puts on a face (laughs) when it cut to his talking head in his office it's it's just a line that i say all the time is oh really a baby otter okay um count me in as who cares (laughs) (laughs) we also get a couple more defcons in the cold open which is the second time it's appeared the first time was back in the job when jan wanted to get back with michael after he broke up with her in women's appreciation he said defcon 10 when jan showed up and then defcon 20 when she wanted to get back together here he says we are at defcon 5 because apparently everybody watching his news clip is of that importance but here's the thing i looked it up defcon stands for defense readiness condition it's for the u.s military and five is the least severe one is the most severe so michael is unknowingly reverse ranking these levels of importance Mm -hmm. by increasing the magnitude and defcon 10 and even defcon 20 would be if they exist incredibly unimportant right (laughs) incredibly (laughs) I actually have a DEFCON level that I use with my boyfriend regarding how hungry I am. He says, what are we on here? Because I get very hangry. I'm like, oh, it's okay. We're only DEFCON 3. Oh, that's so great. And he's like, okay, but two's coming. So that's, but I'm guilty also of flipping the numbers. So now I'll remember. (laughs) Joe wants everyone, of course, to sign that form saying that they didn't talk to the press. And Michael um, tries to stick up for everyone. He says, look, I know these people. I know when their birthdays are. I know what their favorite type of cake is. I know what your favorite color of streamer is. And Joe just says, these are all birthday facts. (laughs) Yes, they are. But (laughs) Michael knows them. When he gets called into the conference room with Joe first, so he gets interrogated. She says, what what should we do with the guilty party? He says, we should give him a one-way ticket to Montego Bay, where they they keep all the (laughs) Al-Qaeda. Montego Bay, of course, is a beautiful, you know, beach in Jamaica. Yeah. (laughs) I think you mean Guantanamo Bay. He says, yes, that one. (laughs) That's the one. Montego Bay. (laughs) Oh, I love this one. So IT guy Nick is searching in the computers and 
Kevin is surprised by this. He says, oh, you you are? Nick says, yeah. Kevin sprints as fast as Kevin can to his desk. And on his way, Nick says, oh, I already got yours, Kevin. And Kevin jogs back. He says, no, that's cool. Sometimes I run. I'm a runner. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> and he's just puffing. <laughs> when Michael goes to Daryl, because Andy puts him on Daryl's trail in regards to leaking this news, Daryl says, yes, I was talking with this girl at the bar. I think she could sense my sadness. Oh, poor Daryl. <laughs> and Michael says, oh, God, Daryl, was she cute? And Daryl just says, no. He goes, oh, no. God, no. <laughs> like, it's, she wasn't even cute. How is this worth it? <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> um, Joe called Toby into the conference room to discuss. And Toby says, look, I didn't do it. Joe says, I know you didn't. But look what I found. And she has found Toby's mystery novel that he's been working on. And she skimmed the first chapter. And she has some advice for him <laughs> about the book. Just like character stuff. Why would this man do this? Shouldn't he do this instead? Toby, they, they cut away to Toby for a talking head. He says, write your own damn novel. <laughs> <laughs> I love somebody finally <laughs> shows Toby interest and he spends yeah. <laughs> it. Like, I don't want it. You write your own. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first person ever to care about what he's doing. Right, right. Even if she's giving constructive advice, he, no. Nope. Right. She seems invested. Like, yeah. run with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pam then confronts Michael and says, I also leaked the story. And Michael goes, oh, my mind is going a mile an hour. And Pam says, that fast? (laughs) Wow. fast. Hmm. (laughs) Michael is trying to indicate to Pam that he wants to meet her to discuss this whistleblowing thing. So he points at Pam. He points at himself. He points at Meredith. He mimes drinking. And then he points to his, his watch and holds up five fingers. Pam says, I weirdly know exactly what you're saying to me. <laughs> and then Michael says, so I want to see you in Meredith's van in five minutes. She's, yeah, no, I got that. You, you did not have to say it. <laughs> you did not have to say that to me. I understood, oddly. When he is trying to get away from Joe, when she takes him to her private jet, he thinks, again, he's about to be offed. He says, you know, I have an early dinner to get to with the chief of police. Like you better watch out. They're gonna be they're gonna be missing me if I don't show up and they're gonna come looking. <laughs> when they do get to the van, Kelly um admits that she also leaked. She says, Guys, I couldn't help it. It's so boring where we work. I mean, it's as interesting as a morgue. It might be less interesting than a morgue. Michael says, Hey, hey, it is as interesting as a morgue. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? A truly funny moment for Michael. Like it's a it's a well-placed joke when he is talking with Joe and he offers to do the the public apology thing. And she says, surely you wouldn't want to do that. He says, I surely do. And don't call me honey, which is just, it's a nice turn of phrase from the old airplane joke. When he says it's from airplane too, but it's, it's really clever. Uh, Even if it's unintentional, it makes Joe laugh a lot too. And they're on an airplane. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's great. (laughs) Oh, we get woof this episode. Mm. So this is Ryan's site that he's launching to be the last word he says in social networking. So for just $12.99 a month, mm. goodness gracious, woof will link up all of your communication portals so you're always within reach. It will fax you. Windows pop up on your computer. It will call you. You'll get like a page. If you have a pager, it'll text you. It just does every mode of communication that you have you'll get a notification which just sounds like the worst mm-hmm. <laughs> to go through some... anyway but he's very proud of it uh when pam reveals to jim before anybody else that she also blew the whistle and she says what if we tell michael or tell joe or tell somebody he says yes yes this is a very good idea this is good let's get all the bad ideas out now flush them out <laughs> <laughs> dwight sees toby struggling with the vending machine his snack got stuck and so Dwight gives him a hand tilting the machine. Dwight's phone then rings and he takes the call and just leaves. So Toby is it's leaning towards him and he's just about to get crushed by this vending machine and he gives this look to the camera like, This is how I'm gonna go. Okay. <laughs> this is how Toby dies. <laughs> when Joe first walks in at the start of the episode, she's very clearly angry about the story leak about the printers. Kevin speaks up and says, Joe, I think that I know what happened. 
Joe says, I'm not sure you do, teddy bear. <laughs> Kevin says, well, now I think I might not. <laughs> <laughs> also with Joe, uh, Michael won't tell Joe about the whistleblower. She calls him into her office and um, she says, look, empathize with me here for a moment. I came up here with a big problem and now I've got a branch manager who won't talk to me. Speak to me. And he doesn't. She says, speak. And she's got her two dogs behind her. And <laughs> one of the dogs speaks. <laughs> Michael won't. David, we get a very brief talking head from him. And you mentioned him earlier as one of the whistleblowers. He says, I may have heard from an old client and I may have immediately started spreading the news to other clients and potential clients. Yeah. But I'm not here to talk about that. I am here to talk about <laughs> suck it. And he starts to say, suck it is, and then it cuts away. But he's wearing a yellow hoodie. It's got suck it stamped on it. And so uh, he's still trying to market that. Remember, I don't remember the name of the episode, but Michael came to him to tell about, yeah, to tell about Saber's overtaking. I guess it would have been uh, Saber, the episode. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So we learned about suck it then, but he's still trying to market it. Suck it. Suck it. it. Also a Michael one, when they're in the plane, yes, he he did say it hadn't been a great year for him because he says, it's not been a blockbuster year for me financially. My blockbuster stock is down. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it's Bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you still have blockbuster stock? <laughs> he probably bought it as they were going out of business because it was cheap. <laughs> it was cheap. It's a very it's Michael like, thing great. to do. This'll come back. Like somebody told him buying stock is a good thing to do. And he's like, oh, blockbuster stock is cheap right now. I'll buy that. Yeah. Nope. Wrong, wrong end of the curve. Wrong trend. Just a couple more. Creed. We've got a couple moments from Creed. He is interrogated by Gabe towards the end of the episode. He walks out. They both walk out and he turns to Gabe and says, I'm very relieved to learn it wasn't you. (laughs) You were uh, not the one interrogating him. It was the opposite direction. Last one for me is uh, between Dwight and Hank regarding buying the building. Dwight says to Hank, I'm about to buy the building. Hank says, oh, you don't say. I own a one-eighth share in a rental property down in Pittston. Dwight says, well, I am one-eighth proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm buying the whole building, so. (laughs) And he also tells him, don't get used to that chair. Enjoy it while you have it, because when I own this building, you're going to be standing like Buckingham Palace. (laughs) (laughs) One of the soldiers outside. Yeah. Last moment for me is one more Creed moment. At the end, Gabe has said, why don't we all just agree to accuse Andy? It seems like he's the guilty one. He doesn't have any evidence. He just It just seems like it's Andy. So let's sit with that for a while, see how we feel about it. And then they all start tossing blame around. Who can we blame instead of Andy? Well, let's blame Gabe. Uh, but then Creed speaks up and says, I think we can all agree that it was either Gabe or Angela. This is the first time Angela's name has been mentioned in all of this. He tosses a coin, lands on his hand, and he looks and he says, it was Angela. Get her, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, no one moves. <laughs> no, it's, and she just like rolls her eyes. So we did not get deleted scenes or commentary for this, which is a little unusual on our last episode of season six. But mm-hmm. uh, luckily, Chad has a discussion topic. I do. Uh, as I said, Joe becomes more sympathetic in this episode. Do we understand her intense desire to find the culprit, like the, the intensity with which she enters the office and her anger and desire to bring justice to this person who leaked this news? Or is she not justified in that moment just because we know what brought her to this moment? I mean, given that if it's true that they lost half their clients... I get it. I mean, you got to find, you got to at least find the responsible party. I don't know if firing them is the right thing to do because it's a safety concern. Things are catching on fire. And to be fair, Andy did try to go to Gabe first. Right. I was about to mention that too. Like he, he tried to go through the chain. The correct chain. Yeah. yeah. He tried to go to corporate. Corporate didn't care. Gabe is his corporate liaison. He doesn't go straight to Joe. And Gabe even said, thanks for not doing that. Thanks for coming to me first. So Andy did what he could do. Could he have gone straight to Joe? I don't know. I don't know if that's something he has the ability to do. If he can contact her uh, directly, I assume he could. So maybe that would be the next best step instead of um, the press. But I get why he did it. I mean, if saber printers are as popular as they seem to be, then I don't know. Really, it's sort of a concern that he, I don't know. I think he addressed it the best way he could. Now, Joe, I have a hard time thinking that she's handling this the right way. 
mm-hmm. if that answers your question. Like it's it doesn't seem like firing the guy is the right way to go. You had a question you said earlier. Joe persuades Michael to go in front of the cameras. It seems like just so that she doesn't have to, so that she can preserve her image and her identity. I see this as like super slimy and manipulative behavior because yeah, she's worked hard, but she's also the CEO of this company. It's her mm-hmm. company. They're her printers. She needs to take responsibility for this, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I can sympathize. I get it. I get that you've worked really hard and you, you know, just worked your way up the corporate ladder and you're proud of that. And that's awesome. But if, if it's your company, if you own the company, I think you need to take responsibility for your product. I agree. But in her defense, I think she was going to. She just wasn't looking forward to it. Even when mm. Michael first steps up and says he'd be willing to do it. She said, that's when she says, surely I, I, I couldn't expect you to do that or something to that effect. She, she, she doesn't want to give it over to Michael. It's just that Michael is sort of looking out for her and he's sensitive to her dilemma in trying to preserve what she's worked so hard for. So I, I don't disagree with you. It's definitely her role as CEO to do this. But Michael is the one who more or less insists that he'd be willing to. And in fact, the whole time he's talking to the reporters, he's smiling uh, because yeah. here's Michael on camera with a microphone. What else? <laughs> uh, how else could you make him happier? I don't know. Right. Send Holly flax. And that's what she's going to maybe <laughs> do, it seems. So like I said, I agree. And overall, Joe is more sympathetic to me. But I don't know if it completely justifies the way, like her righteous anger at the beginning of the episode. Right. I guess what I read the camera thing as was like she was priming him to step up and volunteer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like she was kind of grooming him to do that. Like, oh, well, I don't want to. I don't know. I guess I just I have feelings about Joe. And so I feel like maybe those got in the way of what actually happened. I don't know. I'll be curious to see if anybody has any thoughts on that. I like her, but she definitely Mm -hmm. does have the dark side. And we see. The, the bulk of that in this episode. I don't think we get much yeah. more like that kind of anger in the rest of the course of the show. Right. So that's the end of season six, everybody. Um, yeah, three more to go. Yeah, as we do at the end of these, we talk about the, the rest of the bonus material that is on the DVDs. Uh, so first up is the webisodes. Uh, the podcast is what it's called. Funnily enough, we're about to talk about the podcast yeah. on a podcast. Uh, I do want to mention real quick, and this is aside to you, Katie, as well. Uh, season six is when the subtle sexuality music videos happened. That's the the girl group that Aaron and Kelly formed together, and they're not on the DVDs anywhere. So we might have to try and talk about that, like first couple episodes of season seven or something. I think it's on YouTube. Yeah, I've never actually seen that. I was looking earlier because I thought it was around this time period, and it is. It was released sometime during season six. So if everybody wants to look up subtle sexuality, we'll probably find some time to talk about it, whether it's on this episode or whether we just do a quick bonus episode sometime and talk about it. Yeah, because Kelly mentions it here in this uh, digital short, the podcast. So brief overview of this. Oscar uh, has a blog with anecdotes about being an accountant, and also with some sprinkled in decorating tips. Yeah. So Joe found this blog, and it's now on the Sabre website. She liked it. Uh, It's on the homepage. Oh, which, by the way, this is also the mandatory homepage for the entire company. Mm -hmm. So Gabe is essentially jealous of this. He wants to do something to impress Joe as well, so he starts a podcast, wanting it to be featured on the website as well. The first person to agree to do the podcast was Kevin. Love him, but maybe not the best, you know, (laughs) voice, to say the very least, for the podcast. Um, He's just, let's just put it this way. He didn't do well on the phones when he was on reception. So, yeah. He's talking about stapling, Gabe is. So this is a very (laughs) mundane podcast. He says, stapling, we do it every day, but what happens when you stop and think about why? Kevin says, well, because these pages need to be attached to these pages. like... (laughs) Gabe's just kind of stretching here. He doesn't really have much to talk about with this podcast. Others finally agree to join in. Of course, they think that it would be much better if it was a video podcast or, you know, a vlog, essentially. So they kind of treat it like a talk show. Um, And so Gabe is the host and he has Kelly and Meredith and Kevin. And they all just sort of 
none of this is what Gabe actually wanted to do. His whole bit was, let's talk about having it all, what that means to you. And first, they all say the same thing, job and family. And then they just go on this show and talk about anything but that. And this is long, but essentially, it's a huge failure. Yeah, it's funny. Meredith is the one who says, you know, I have the camera equipment. I have the lights. I have the (laughs) release forms. (laughs) So again, hinting towards her. Uh, sex life, which is very active and uh, recorded for posterity, I would hope, <laughs> only for posterity. Uh, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> there's lots of craziness. Kevin puts on his toupee and wants to be the sidekick of the show. Creed is playing guitar. Uh, they had to restart several times because of Kevin not knowing what to do and just sort of ruining things. Kelly got tips from Ryan on what to do. Wave as you enter, flirt with the host, tell a mildly amusing story, act surprised when the host acts about the project you're plugging, and then push-up bra, question mark? Yeah? Yeah? That's Maybe. Like the, the, for, yeah, anyways. <laughs> a little hint. Meredith plays cowbell with her feet. Gabe is upset because it's supposed to be about business in some regard, and he calls them all a freak show. And then when Creed comes on, he says, you know... He gives this really philosophical speech. You know, the problem with the question of having it all is it deals with the external. What have I done? What do I own? None of this matters. What matters is what's happening internally, if you're happy from within. And Gibbs like, wow, that's, a, that's an awesome answer. Chris says, take me. I'm the most content person I know. And I live in an old tent with a lady made out of old soup cans. <laughs> and that's when Gabe throws in the towel and says, I'm done with this. Yep. Uh, but at the end of everything... Oscar shows up. Everybody else is stormed out. Oscar shows up to work on his blog because he's in direct contact with Joe about this blog. Like it's become a sort of big deal within Saber. And Oscar says, you know, I've got a couple minutes. I can sit and do this podcast with you if you want me to. And so they sit down, they start, and Meredith drags out her cameras. Not with my cameras, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. I think that pretty much wraps up the podcast. The webisode podcast. Yeah. We also have three little mini plugs essentially for the canada games it was the winter olympics yeah we had the deleted scene with michael the i forget what episode it was attached to um but it's where we we mentioned this a while back with curdling how curdling (laughs) is his favorite uh olympic sport there are no winners no losers only poetry (laughs) there was also another another one where dwight says you know the half pipe is lame the full pipe is awesome there's no such thing as a half pipe. It's called an aqueduct. He says, if they had an event called aqueduct, I'd watch. But as it's called a half pipe, it's lame. <laughs> He's talking about snowboarding. Uh, then Pam, this is the third one. Pam says, you know, the Olympics are in Vancouver. And she asks Jim, is that in British Columbia? And Dwight is nearby at the vending machine. And he overhears and he, he starts singing a lengthy song about all the territories and provinces in Canada, the natural resources in Canada. And after a bit of going on with the song, he says, keep going. Like, you guys got to be enjoying this, right? You got to be impressed with this. Keep going. And he goes, no, no, don't. Please, no. And he's like, fine. And greets. And he walks off. And then he's got a talking head where he says, I'm working on a song for every country. So far, I have Canada and Lesotho. And Lesotho is a country down near South Africa. Pretty random. This is uh, set to Modern Major General from Pirates of Penzance. Yeah. Which we've all heard set. To many, many things, um, including like the periodic table or, you know, Canada and Mm -hmm. others. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last bonus uh, feature here is this one kind of surprised me. So, of course, Parks and Rec um, is sort of a sister show, essentially. They just threw on an entire episode onto the bonus features. So it's the entire episode of Hunting Trip from Parks and Rec. Season two, episode 10. I wonder why they chose this one. I've, I've watched the show in its entirety. It's one of my favorites. But I don't know why specifically they picked this one. I mean, it's a great episode, but... Maybe it's just aligned with the timing of the DVD release. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, season two, episode 10. So if you haven't watched it, it's a good one. Go, go watch Parks and Rec. Well... That's it. That's the official 67th episode of American Workplace. That is the end of season six. Yeah. Weird. Three more to go. Yeah. Three more, several months, and uh, then we'll be done with this thing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) 
contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and rating, reviewing, hitting that subscribe button. It'd help us out a lot. And if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email us as well, workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And my other podcast, Cinescope, you can find it where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. We do have a new Patreon subscriber, Marta. Hello, Marta. Good to have you. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, live streams like this one, I hope you checked it out. Uh, Check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. And that is all for season six. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 67 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 68 for our discussion on the first two episodes of season seven, Nepotism and Counseling. Bye. Bye. Bye.